Good morning, my name is Dee. I'm one of the pastors here and it is such a joy to be with you. I am excited about this morning. I am excited about what we've been reading. I'm excited about the coming week of readings. Um, if you paid attention to the announcements um, or were here the last couple of weeks, you know that as a church body, many of us are attempting to uh, read through the New Testament in eight weeks following a particular pattern that um, is found in this book, though you can follow along in your own Bible as well if you would like. It is just a slightly different order. The first week we read together the Gospel of Luke. This last week we read together the Acts of the Apostles, as well as the two letters um, to the Thessalonians. This coming week, we are reading some more of Paul's letters. We start off with First and Second Corinthians. We go on to Galatians, and then into the first half of Romans. So here's what I want to say. If you have not been following along, don't try and catch up. But I would love to invite you to start tomorrow with Corinthians. Just jump in where we're at. And then at the end of the next six weeks, if you decide to go back and read Luke and Acts, fantastic. Don't try and catch up. Just join in right where we're at. If, we, if you need one of these, we've got a few out at the hub. Um, but I will tell you each week what we're reading. If you want to follow along in your, old, in your own Bible, um, we just have a number of extra resources that are available to you. Um, at the website down here if you do get one of these. So, my privilege each week is to kind of introduce the readings that are coming and to set them up. But even if you're not reading along, I hope this morning will be meaningful for you and will relate to something that's part of your journey uh, this week. So let me go over once again what's going to take place if you do follow along. Um, and if you're a binge reader like me, you may not break them up into these nice five-day segments. I, I tend to like to sit down and read even larger chunks, and so some of you may be like that as well. But if you're following along, Monday and Tuesday, we're reading 1 Corinthians. So we spend a little while on that one letter. Then on Wednesday, 2 Corinthians. Thursday, Galatians. Friday, first half of Romans, and then we'll continue in Romans the following week. So, what are these letters? It's interesting, I think, to have letters that are part of sacred literature. I might think of a letter being contained within a larger book, but these letters to a great extent, stand by themselves in our scriptures, in the testament that is about Christ in the beginning of the church. Many of the letters, the ones we're reading in particular um, these weeks, are letters written by the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote quite a few letters. We don't have all of them, but we have a number, and the ones we have have made it into our sacred canon of Scripture. Paul, from last week, you might remember his name used to be Saul before he met Jesus. And he met the resurrected Christ, not before the crucifixion. He was a Pharisee who was busy on his way 
to various locations to persecute those who were part of the way. Those who were part of this Jewish group of people, but a small sect within that Jewish group, who had decided that Jesus changed everything. In fact, many of them claimed that Jesus had risen from the dead. Paul, trying to extinguish this group, was part of those who persecuted Christians, putting them in prison, flogging them, and at times putting them to death. He was present when Stephen was stoned to death, one of the followers of the way. But on his way to a different town to continue this persecution, he was stopped dead in his tracks by a bright light, a loud noise, and a confrontation. The bright light blinded him. He understood the noise to be words that were addressed to him, but many of those who were with him just thought it sounded like thunder. But he heard a voice that said, why are you persecuting me? And his response was, who are you? And the response was, I am Jesus, the Christ. This interaction changed everything for Saul, so much so that it changed his name to Paul. Over and over again, Christ calls out a new future for us. Often in Scripture, it's designated by a change of name. That may not happen to us, but when we meet Christ, it calls out a new future, new possibilities, new hope, a new direction as we try and live into all that God created us to be. So Saul's name was changed to Paul. Became the greatest evangelist and missionary the church has ever seen. In fact, he's responsible to a large part in the establishment of the church, particularly the Gentile church. A Roman citizen as well as a Pharisee, a religious person. His relatives were from a number of areas in the Roman Empire, not all in the same location. He had some relatives that were in Jerusalem because they took care of him when he went to Jerusalem. We know at least at one point in time his mother was living in Rome, He had relatives who protected him and gave him lodging in various cities where he would stop. We know that when he was young, his family sent him down Jerusalem to study under the great Rabbi Gamaliel. A great reputation this rabbi had, and so certainly Paul, a Roman citizen, but also a Jew, was schooled in the great philosophies of the time, the great literature of the time, the arts, the culture both of the Romans as well as Jewish history. His understanding of language and his appreciation for the nuances of literature in many ways beyond compare in regard to our New Testament authors. So this is the person, Paul. He wasn't, at the time, known as a letter writer. You just, for those of you that fought along, finished reading Acts, the second half of that book is about Paul's missionary journeys. We find him starting churches, nurturing churches. And his travels took him to many of the cities that we now have 
letters that go by the name of the town where he was, and then he wrote to encourage them, to correct them, to interact, nurture relationships, forge new relationships. He was, it says in one of your readings this week, that he was known to be pretty fierce in his writings, but pretty meek in his speaking. He believed himself to be a missionary, and over and over again, though he was settled in a location, realized his call to be the one who takes the good news to places who hadn't heard it. And so he would leave locations where he had been for a year and a half, two years, set up work and residence, but he knew he had to move on. And his letters are a testament both to his journeys, but also to God's faithfulness to use what we offer when we offer our best. I'm convinced Paul had no idea that his letters would become sacred literature. He didn't write them thinking, oh, I really better be careful about how I parse this verb because I think it's going to make it into the canon of Scripture for the next 2,000 years. He's just writing letters. He's given greetings. I've heard about you. Some great reports. Somebody came through my town and told me the latest news on what's happening in your area. And guess who's with me? I've got Timothy with me, or I've got Titus with me. And then he launches into instruction or defense, posturing for what he felt was important for the truth of the gospel and the good news. And we're reading some of those letters. The letters to the church at Corinth hold a particularly interesting place for a couple of reasons. One is the location of Corinth. It was a pretty major city up until about 147 B.C., when Roman soldiers came in and decimated the city, left it in ruins. And at one point in time, there were 100,000 people in this town. But they had to come under Roman rule, and Rome went down there and destroyed the city. It was in a real key strategic spot because it sits in this small piece of land between two seas and two bodies of land, so it was a real important travel pathway. It wasn't until about 100 years later, about 44 BC, that Rome colonized it again. They they put money into it. They flooded with new people. They encouraged immigration into that town. And within a very short period of time, the time of Christ, there were probably 80,000 people in this town that had been nothing just a few years before. But it was very definitely a Roman town. When they colonized it, they set up Roman government, Roman ways, Roman traditions, but they also had this great sense of openness to ideas and philosophy. And a lot of people immigrated in the hopes of, like many do today, a better economy, better job, hopes for a more prosperous journey. 
But in that town, there also began to be a huge separation between the wealthy and the poor. The wealthy got richer, the poor got poorer, and it became obvious in the makeup of the community. Into this place, Paul comes, establishes the church, stays for a year and a half, and then leaves. While in Ephesus, he starts to communicate by letter back to Corinth and faced some interesting challenges. I'm going to interrupt this storyline because this thing's sitting over here. It's driving me nuts that it's covered in black, so I'm going to reveal it here in just a second. I was um, hoping that we would have had more of the Play-Doh back there, but I was thrilled that all of them got taken. So whether it's kids or adults, I'm glad you have this stuff. Some of you have opened the jars and are just creating and creating, which is wonderful. I do have one right here, which I think has been the one that I've had at my desk all week long. I love Play-Doh. I didn't have it much as a kid, and that's not a oh, woe is me thing, and it wasn't any moral issue. We just didn't have Play-Doh around much when I was a kid, and I, I really think I missed out on a, an important part of growing up, and so I now often have it at the edge of my desk just because I want to live moments I never had, and I don't know. It's okay. So... Um, is there anyone that didn't get one that really needed one? Alex. Yeah, sure. Okay, Alex. After service, come up. This is all yours. Alex almost is my age. But that's okay, Alex. That's fantastic. Um, if there is anyone else that needs one while you're trying to uh, pay attention, I'll set it down here. And if nobody takes it, it's all Alex's. The reason I got it is for a reason. The reason I got it is for a reason. Wow, that was powerful. Write that in your notes, because that wasn't in mine. Um, two parts. One is that um, it, to me, reminds me of something very powerful in Paul's journey with the church at Corinth. And it ties into something that's very powerful for me. Play-Doh can be molded and shaped into a whole bunch of different things. In fact, one of my challenges to those who have opened up a jar of Play-Doh is to make something that relates to the readings of this last week or the readings of this coming week. A storyline, something that tells a story. Combine it with somebody else who has some Play-Doh to create some story of your own. Oh, this is wonderful. Do you want this now? Is that what you're going for? Oh, no. <laughs> Um, I did notice that all of the questions that I had with the kids' packets that it had to do with this last week's readings, questions about the readings, all of those got left behind. So if anybody wants those questions, you're welcome to get those. But this morning I decided to throw together a little depiction of my own of Plato, and so I tossed together my little art sculpture. And so that's what this is right here, my globe made out of Plato. Oh, yeah, 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 thank you so much. So, even through in just a little depiction of Paul's missionary journey right through here, you can see through Macedonia and Jerusalem, and then for those who are in first service, Frank Morgan's missionary journey down here in Colombia, so 
That's my attempt, a rendition. The Aleutian Islands were a little difficult to pull off, as was the coastline of New Zealand, but um, I figured with um, global warming, that's going to be a non-issue before too long. So this is more of a futuristic kind of view of the globe. So depicting something that's really important to me, first is this. As Paul writes to the church at Corinth, we get this fascinating view of the humanity of Paul. I've got Paul on a pedestal. I just confess. He just comes across to me as this highly educated person with a command of languages, founder of the church, He can debate in the temple. He can debate in the Roman courts. He can debate with anyone. He takes illustrations and makes them come alive. I I view him as having arrived spiritually, responsibly, all of those things that you would think of somebody with the maturity, wisdom of a person you respect so greatly. In Corinthians, we have this depiction over years of interaction of a man who's very human, wrestling with difficult issues in a church, but also revealing some of his own insecurities, his own competitive nature. His own attempt to establish some sense of authority among the people with whom he's worked. He cares about what they think, cares mostly about their future in Christ, and wants to preserve the good news, the essence of the good news. But I also find him very moldable, teachable as if he's still willing to learn. Which is so fascinating to me. I said that there was a situation in my own life that this had particular significance. Several years ago, I had a staff member who I met with on a regular basis came into my office after many times of having met, and he brought in, it wasn't Play-Doh, but it was modeling clay. And He had it so it was pretty soft, and he plopped it down in the middle of the desk that's in the middle of my office. And he said, I want you to have this because I want it to be a reminder every time we meet that you have full permission to ask any question, push, prod, question me, mold me, make me uncomfortable. I don't want to waste our time. I want you to call out in me things that need to be called out, encourage things that need to be encouraged. Each time we get together, I want you to know you have full permission to do that in my life. Well, as wonderful as that was, it was also incredibly intimidating. I'm not sure how much I changed our interactions, but it was an amazing willingness to step forward in life with a posture to be, in many ways, like Plato, 
moldable, willing to change, willing to learn. However, there's a caveat for that. And I find that with Paul, and the caveat's very, very important. At the end of day two, which is at the end of 1 Corinthians, day two of the readings this week, Tuesday if you're reading along, Monday through Friday, Paul says something very particular about an anchor point. He speaks to the Corinthians about the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of the dead, and the resurrection of the body. He speaks about all three of those things as being very important. The people who are there in Corinth are are being taught by some that there is no resurrection. Yeah, you've heard some stories, but there's no proof. There is no resurrection. And Paul gets very emphatic. He says, we have eyewitnesses of the risen Christ. And then he begins to talk about the resurrection of the dead. And he, and he says very clearly in this passage that you'll get a chance to read, if you've not read already, he says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then there was no resurrection of the Christ. And if there was no resurrection of the Christ, then what are we wasting our time for? We are to be pitied more than anyone else if there is no resurrection. We come together and gather and talk about these things, but it is a waste of time, it's a waste of effort if there is no resurrection at all. But I'm telling you there is because we have eyewitnesses. He then goes on to talk about the resurrection of the body. He said, don't be confused. What's buried is not what's raised. To use his metaphor, though he didn't take it this far, this is in essence what he's saying. When you want to grow an oak tree, you don't plant an oak tree. You plant the seed of an oak tree. And everything that is necessary for that seed to grow in an oak tree is in the seed, but it is materially different than what's planted. Likewise, with the resurrection... What is buried is natural. What is raised is spiritual. What is buried is temporal. What is raised is eternal. What is buried is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What was crucified and buried in Christ, Christ the Messiah has risen and carries with God's self eternity. Pure love. The spiritual unencumbered. Never perishable. So this is what Paul does toward the end of this letter to the church at Corinth. But getting back to the moldable piece, the anchor point is at the beginning of this whole argument, he says something that is sometimes referred to as the earliest kurgma, or the earliest statement of the Christian faith. This is the line that likely was communicated over and over and over again as the foundational piece because Paul says, I taught you from the beginning that which is of utmost importance and it's this, that Christ or the Messiah died for our sins. He was buried. 
On the third day, he rose from the dead. He appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to James and the 500 followers of Christ. And then appeared to me, Paul. This was the cornerstone. This is the anchor point. This is what Paul is saying is of utmost importance. Everything else, mold me like Play-Doh. The anchor point, the Messiah died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Buried and on the third day rose from the dead. Appeared to Peter, appeared to the twelve. Appeared to the five hundred followers, both men and women. Appeared to James and then appeared to me also. That's the core. Now in these letters you're going to read some fascinating things about churches and how church-like they are. All of the problems that churches sometimes have. And Paul addresses several of those things. And goes into pretty significant detail about some of the issues. But don't mistake those items for that which is of utmost importance. The solid center. The anchor point. Around this, mold me, teach me. Let's discuss. Let's figure out what it looks like in Corinth. Now let's figure out what it looks like at San Diego First Church of the Nazarene. Let's figure out what it means today. Let's figure out some of the issues they addressed. They might be our issues today. Our issues might be different. What does it mean for us to have a unified service and what kind of music do we play? Well, they were talking about the order of worship back in Corinth. That may be something we have to discuss. Maybe we have to discuss who goes first in line for the barbecues the first Sunday of each month. That was one of the things they talked about to the church at Corinth. It may look different here than it did in Corinth, but don't forget that which is of utmost importance. Hear it again. The Messiah died for your sins, according to the Scripture was buried and on the third day rose from the dead, according to the scripture. Appeared to Peter, appeared to the twelve. Then appeared to 500 followers, both men and women. Appeared to James and appeared to Paul. It's on this rock, this solid foundation that we build that we talk, that we wrestle with difficult things, that we may land in different places, but we find ourselves unified in the love of the Spirit that keeps us united in this center place. So, be molded into a globe, be molded into a storyline, be molded into whatever story God is doing in your life. But we come back to the question, what's the anchor point that holds us steady so that we can be molded, so that we can be healthy and engaged? 
Paul was a letter writer. What are you? What is the way by which you communicate God's love to others? What will have long-lasting legacy in your life? Not everybody is a great letter writer, but it might be important for you to write one this week. Not everybody's great at picking up on a phone call, making a phone call, or sending a great text, but that might be what you're great at. Why don't you make a difference in somebody's life? What is it that God can use in your journey? It may be your music. You may have a chance to lead us. You may not. How are you going to use your music to get at what's most important? To connect with others and help them see the good news. Maybe you write a verse for someone else. What might it mean to give some of your time for a neighbor? an act of service, a word of affirmation. What are you going to give this week that could last 2,000 years? Like a letter of Paul? You say, well, it'll never last 2,000 years. When you speak into somebody's life and God's Spirit touches that, eternity can be produced in that moment. It can last so much more than 2,000 years. It can last forever as that seed grows and produces more seed and those seeds get planted and grow and produce more seeds. We become part of something that God is doing in a powerful, powerful way. Are you moldable? Are you teachable? Are you usable? I hope so. What changed for the people in the early days? Well, it began with a group of people who were eyewitnesses. But you know, that same offer is true today. I pray that you see Jesus. I don't know that it will be like the stories we have in the New Testament. But we have this same offer today that the Spirit of Christ, the gift given by the Father, is ours. If we'll open our eyes, open our heart, and allow that Spirit to move in our life. It may come through the kind handshake of somebody else. It might be through something we've sang already this morning. It might be through a word of Scripture that jumps out at you right now. It might be while you're walking out these doors or walking home. Jesus wants to meet you so that you might be an eyewitness as well. That you might number yourself along with Paul and say, you know, it's come alive for me. Not just the notion of Jesus, but the Spirit has enlivened my spirit It came through the testimony of those who have gone before me, but now it's my testimony, my testimony that the Messiah died for my sins, was buried. On the third day, the resurrection took place. Peter's psalm, the 12th psalm, 500 of the followers saw him, James did, Paul did, 
and now I want to count myself among that number because the Spirit has touched my spirit and I'll never be the same. So where will your journey take you from here? I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. If you'd like to pray up here, you're welcome to. And if now or at the end of the service you want to pray with somebody about meeting Christ or allowing your gifts to be used for God's glory, you're welcome to pray with some of our prayer team off to my right right and your left. Allow God's Spirit to touch your spirit this morning. Let's pray together. Father, I praise your name. I praise your name. I thank you for the chance to be together, all of us, with you. Father, there's no doubt that there are ways in which we have clung to things and said that they are of utmost importance when they aren't. There are reasons we do it, Lord. It's our history, our experience. For some reason, things have come very important to us and we hold tenaciously to them when they really ought to be areas that are moldable, shapeable, Areas that shouldn't divide us. For we know what should unite us. And it's you and your love. So forgive us, Lord, when we've been the reason for divisions. When our silence has fostered those divisions when the words we use or the language that has come out of our mouth has pushed someone away instead of promoting a gospel that whets someone's appetite. Father, we may be the one this morning who's been pushed away. Invite us again into your presence. Speak your truth into our life. Whether it be a bright light, a voice ringing in our ears, a gentle nudging of our heart, a kindness from someone this morning that reminds us of those things that are truly important. So that having been forgiven, we might become forgivers. Call us into our best, Lord, so that having been loved, we might find ways to love others. Having been recipients of your grace, help us to passionately be grace givers to others. Mold us this morning, Lord. Teach us.